Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zaylot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Before continuing today, I would ask that if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as support the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, to please go to our website, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. This is part two of my interview with Dr. Monique Ruberu. In part one, Monique addressed the often heard claim that abortion is healthcare. She explained ethically appropriate medical interventions for pregnancy-related complications, and she discussed the true impact of abortion on her patients. In this interview, Monique speaks about her work with abortion pill reversal and 40 Days for Life. She also discusses the work of Thrive Pregnancy Centers. Monique is a pro-life, board-certified OBGYN who practices in the Philadelphia area. All right, let's talk about something maybe a little bit happier, uh, abortion pill reversal. Um, and, you know, uh, Monique, you may not know this, but we, um, the, the podcast before this one, we talked about the, the legal issues that are going around with uh, the um, Alliance uh, case versus FDA. Uh, so we, we've talked about that already. But you are, correct me if I'm wrong, you are involved with uh, abortion pill reversal. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell us about your work with this, uh, with this organization and, and how, um, you know, and how this sort of the process of how this works. And I was wondering, have you had patients who have had children who were safe through this process? Yes. Yeah. I'm so blessed. There are several who have, um, been safe through abortion pill reversal. It's always such an exciting thing to get to meet those babies and carry those babies and know that they're there because of something that, we had a hand in to help save them. Um, so abortion pill reversal, there's basically two paths for it. One is the traditional. So when you think of abortion pill, it's the mifepristone RU486 pill. Right. And they take that pill, that pill basically cuts off the supply of progesterone to the baby. And when the baby does not have progesterone, it will die. And then they take a second pill, which is the mesoprostol, to force the uterus to contract and basically expel the baby and the contents of the pregnancy. And so when we do abortion pill reversal, we always say you have up to 72 hours in order to get enough progesterone on board to try and negate the RU486 pill. Right. And it works very well if the baby is younger, if the mom gets it sooner, the closer they get to that 72 hours, the harder it is. Um, sorry, not if the baby is younger, if the baby is older because the baby's okay. stronger, right? Okay. So if the baby is younger, then it's more susceptible and it's easier for the RU486 to end the life of the baby. So the other way that I've only had one of these, but one time there was somebody who went in to an abortion center and they were given a shot. And the shot is the same shot that we give people who have ectopic pregnancies. Mm. And 
I remember her telling me the story and she was telling me that she was uncertain if she really wanted to do it. She was vacillating back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the nurse just gave her the shot without her consent. Is this methotrexate? Yes. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I had never in my life heard of anyone doing an abortion using methotrexate. <laughs> but I was blown away. And then I called the abortion pill reversal people and they said, okay, the thing with methotrexate is unlike the RU486 pill, when you take the RU486 pill, it either kills or it doesn't kill. If the baby survives, the baby has no further side effects from the medication. It doesn't cause any problems for the baby. So with the methotrexate, unfortunately, there is an increased risk of deformities of, you know, limb deformities and uh, cranial deformities and facial deformities and all sorts of stuff. But you can reverse it with folic acid. And so there was this one patient that she called me. And so I had to run through this whole list. And I said, if you don't do anything, your baby will die. If you do take this treatment, there's a chance your baby will survive. But there's a possibility that your baby may have all of these things or, or some of these things happening. And right. her response was, I have done this to my child and I need to do everything in my power to try and save my child's life. And so we did the reversal with this folic acid. And thanks be to God, that baby was miraculously saved and is absolutely perfect. Um, there are have been several patients that we've done the abortion pill reversal with the RU486, and those babies, they, they do just beautifully. They do so yeah. well. If they survive, there's no issue with them. Yeah. And just to, I, 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 so that I'm clear, so your role in this is, so a woman has taken mifepristone, um, hopefully she hasn't gotten methotrexate, but <laughs> that, that was a new one for me too. But a yeah. woman takes mifepristone and she contacts the abortion pill reversal network or, or hotline, which I'm going to, I have linked in the show notes. And then is she connected with you and you would prescribe the progesterone? Exactly. So depending on where they are. So I serve the people in the state that can have access to me. So basically, okay. in Pennsylvania, there are several of us who are doing abortion pill reversal. Even in Philadelphia itself, there are at least four of us who are doing abortion pill reversal. And when the call comes in, they try and send the call to the person who's nearest to that patient. Got it. That way, the patient can not only see you via telemed or whatever, but that patient can also come into the office and like physically meet you. And so we do that with all of our abortion pill reversal patients. First, we'll have like a telemed visit and then we'll actually meet them and, you know, do an ultrasound for them or whatever. Right. So the abortion industry, Monique, um, will claim, as do some medical societies, that those, there's no reliable data indicating that abortion pill reversal actually works. And in fact, uh, as we're recording this podcast, just a few days before this, the governor of Colorado signed a law saying abortion pill reversal is illegal. 
Um, now there's all sorts of rank. Oh yeah, no, they, no, he did. Um, it's not being oh, as no. as as we're yeah as we're recording this. It's not being um, the law is not being what's the word? Uh, it, it's not being implemented, so to speak, because there's real medical questions with it. But the argument is that there's no data indicating that abortion pill reversal actually works to save the life of an unborn child. Now, obviously you're doing this. How would you respond to this argument? I would say there absolutely is data that it works because somebody who has taken an abortion pill is carrying a child to term. However, you know, I am seeing out of every abortion pill that they do, like say they're doing hundreds of abortion pills, I am seeing a very small fraction of that number of abortion pills. So how many of those abortion pills in and of themselves are not working? I don't know because I'm not seeing those patients. Um, And assuming that all of these patients that I am seeing for abortion pill reversal are patients of or babies of moms who don't have any other medical problems. So those babies are strong. Those babies would have done well regardless. You know, it's, it's all a very challenging thing to say, is my abortion pill reversal treatment hundred percent every single time going to save the life of a baby? No, obviously not because there have been babies who are, too young and they miscarry or moms that get to it too late and they miscarry. But the fact that we have seen several, I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of these babies and that was, oh my gosh, last time I checked years ago. So I know now the numbers are far, far greater. Um, I think it's somewhere around 4,000 children have been saved. Yeah. And so all of those babies are kind of a testament to the fact that there is something here and we do know the science that this is how RU486 works. And when you give a massive dose of progesterone, that it can block those receptors and nullify its actions. So I don't understand why there would be any question about it. I know the trial that they had done, the paper that they usually will push forward, that was ended early, but it wasn't ended early because of issues with abortion pill reversal. It was ended early because of women hemorrhaging from the RU486. So right. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, obviously they're not going to ever want to say that this works because they don't want women to attempt to get abortion pill reversal. And when women call the abortion centers after they've taken the abortion pill crying and they say, is there anything that I could do? They're naturally going to say no. And if you if you try and get that abortion pill reversal thing, then you're going to end up needing a DNA later because you're going to need another abortion. <laughs> like I've actually right. had patients who tell me that this is what they've been told. So... Yeah. The abortion industry is all about (laughs) making money. And if they can sell them two abortions, they'd be happy to do that. So in that case, they should be promoting abortion pill reversal to everybody. (laughs) So they can make, I guess so. You know, yeah, I know some pro-life people in, in Colorado, when the governor signed that 
bill, they said, well, what's happened to Troy? So a woman takes an abortion pill and she changes her mind. Her choice is to try to save the pregnancy, but now she doesn't have choice anymore. So it's like, you know, the people who are, who are screaming choice, 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 they're, they're undermining it. Uh, Monique, I was wondering if, I know you've told me this story out in front of 777 Apple Tree Street, but uh, can you tell us the story of the woman who went into that abortion center for chemical abortion and she came out and she spoke to you outside. And, and I remember you telling us this story and it was really compelling. And I was wondering if, if, if you could tell us a little bit about her experience in the abortion center. Yes, yes, yes. So this is a woman, I didn't speak to her that day itself. I spoke to her later, but she gave testimony as to exactly what happens inside of the abortion center. And what she said was when she went inside, first of all, she was treated so poorly. She wasn't treated with kindness, with love, with compassion at all. The minute she walked into that center, there was this this feeling of depression and sadness and hopelessness. And then as she went upstairs, the first person, obviously, that she had to see was the person who would collect payment from her. Got to get the money first. Yeah. When she went to the window, the cost of the abortion was $400, I believe, and she only had $150. And so she basically said, this is all I've got. And he just opened his drawer and he took out the rest of the money and he said, no problem. And he put that money with her money. And she was shocked at how much money he had in that envelope and that it was like such a non-issue. Like he couldn't care less that she couldn't pay for this abortion. He was more than happy to provide her with the money to have the abortion. Then she went and, you know, she sat down and she said there were so many women there and they were all extremely sad, crying, depressed, or stone-faced, like just checked out. When it was her time um, to go into the room, she said she she didn't have any time with the doctor um, to answer ask questions, ask anything, answer anything. Uh, rather, it was all with the nurses. So the nurse came in, basically gave her a rundown of, you know, what the medication was, how she needs to take it, telling her she has to take it then and there. She can't take it away with her. Um, didn't really talk to her at all about what to expect, like what should she do when she's passing this baby? Should she flush the toilet? Should she collect it? Should she, like none of that was explained. Um, she was told that the pain of the abortion would just be like period cramps, which we all know is a complete lie. Um, she said the bleeding would like be like a normal period, which we all know is a lie. The bleeding is far heavier than that. Um, then the doctor came in for like two minutes and she just kind of like signed some papers and said, okay, all right, I think you know everything you need to know and we're good to go. And she was out of there. <laughs> and the ultrasound even they did not let her look at the screen while she was having her ultrasound. Um, yeah, those were the main things that she shared with me. And 
she stepped out of the abortion center. And that day, I think there were several escorts there. And Tony is our forever guy at the abortion oh, center. Yeah. A great we know man. Tony. Yeah, a great man who spends almost all of his time witnessing outside of the abortion centers, offering women resources, offering the father of the babies resources. And he was there. And so she, as she came out, he said, ma'am, is there any way I can talk to you and offer you some resources? And she walked, you know, four or five feet away. Something told her to stop. And so she stopped. And she turned around and started walking back towards him. When the escorts saw that, straight away they pounced on her. And they were like, you don't need to talk to him. He's crazy. He's, you know, you don't need to talk to him. You need to just go home, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, I'm okay. And so by this time, Tony had come up to her, starting to have a conversation. Several times in the conversation, they tried to dissuade her from having a conversation with Tony. They, you know told her, you know, you really need to leave. You don't need to talk to him. And she was like, no, I'm okay talking to him. I want to talk to him. And so then ultimately, Tony walked with her to the crisis pregnancy center. And she had her ultrasound. She said from the minute she walked into the crisis pregnancy center or the pregnancy resource center, she felt nothing but love. They met her with hugs and with compassion and they called me straight away and we talked about her situation and, you know, what was going on. We began the abortion pill reversal and she was just very much filled with joy. The next day she went back again for an ultrasound to make sure the baby was still living and the baby was, thanks be to God. And so, yeah, she she was just so thrilled. Yeah. It's lovely. Quite the difference between the the abortion center and and the pro life cri- the crisis pregnancy center. Yeah, she, she was, was saying it was such a stark difference. Awesome, great to hear, um, Monique. You are working with uh, Forty Days for Life. You are, I, I guess, a, a representative of Forty Days for Life here in Philadelphia. How'd you get involved, and what do you do in this work? Other than send me emails that I get uh, once a week, <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes more than that. So when I started praying outside of the abortion centers, I uh, what we realized very quickly was that although there were people who were already praying outside of the abortion centers on specific days, we didn't have a 40 days for life in downtown Philadelphia. There were two large abortion centers. These were the places that were ending most of the lives in Pennsylvania, but and definitely in Philadelphia, but um, although we had 40 Days for Life programs at other locations, there wasn't one in this place. And so we were challenged by another prayer warrior who asked us, why don't we have one? And so we decided to start one when I talked to Patrick Stanton. And so Pat and I co-lead the 40 Days for Life outreaches. We started off with 12th and Locust, and then after a little while, we that's realized the, that we that's really the plan, had to do... That's the Planned Parenthood That's the Planned Parenthood. That's Planned Parenthood. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then from there, we realized that we really had to also cover 777 Apple Tree, which is the Women's Center. And so we started by doing just 40 Days for Life 
the two campaigns every year for 40 days. But then we always felt like this was just horrible because we had all these people who came out during 40 Days for Life, but then we just went back to the old faithfuls on the few days in between. And we decided instead we needed to do something, a vigil between the vigils. So we started the Sidewalk Servants Program. And then we had kind of a 365-day coverage with that. And eventually, um, 40 Days for Life themselves came up with a 365 program. So then we adopted that at both of the centers. So now we have coverage every day that the abortion centers are open during all of the hours that they're open. So I started just as a leader um, at both of these locations. But now I'm actually, I serve on the national board for 40 Days for Life as well. And so that's been now probably about a year and a half, I think. And that's been really great because I'm the only leader on the board. And so I, I'm able to kind of bring kind of that perspective to the decision making as we're rolling out new programs and trying to figure out how best to maneuver as we go forward. But 40 Days for Life is definitely, we've been preparing for the whole Dobbs decision and everything for years. And so we see this as a, t- as a time that we are doing nothing but growing. And the numbers of babies that have been saved through the sidewalk reach, outreach and just the, the impact of one-on-one encountering someone and showing them love and compassion and kindness, we truly believe that that is the only way that you'll ever bring about a conversion. So. Yeah. yeah. What, um, what challenges do you encounter? And I'm thinking specifically here in Philadelphia, but you could even, you know, if you want to speak on the national level too, but what challenges does 40 Days for Life face and what successes have you seen? I think the biggest challenge with 40 Days for Life in the city, on the sidewalk, is just making sure that enough people come out and actually stand up and do this work. Because I think there are a lot of pro-life people, but there's a lot of hesitancy to, mm-hmm. and you know, whatever it may be, you know, after seeing the BLM riots or seeing the some of the trauma that has happened on the sidewalks, the persecution, I always tell people, yes, 100% we are going to be persecuted. That is why we're here. We are trying to do God's work and... If you look how he was persecuted, the amount that we are persecuted is nothing in comparison. So we need to just step it up and be willing to get off of our rears and do the work. Because if we don't show up and if the sidewalk is empty, then there's nobody there to stand up and be a voice for these poor, innocent children. There's nobody there to offer assistance to these moms who are choosing this most of the time out of fear. Right. So I think that's the biggest challenge. The biggest success, obviously, is when we do have a baby whose life is saved, when we do get to have amazing conversations with people, even if they're completely on the opposite side of the fence, um, just the opportunity to stand there and to know that you're doing God's work. It's a very fulfilling thing. Um, being able to witness and pray for and get to know 
all of those people, like as pro-life warriors, the one thing that we all have to remember is that we're not in war against these people. We are in war against the principalities. And so they may be blinded and confused by these demonic spirits who allow them to think that they are doing the right thing. But what we need to do is to love even them and to call them to something greater and to be a witness for them. So in between, you know, not every moment outside of an abortion center is encountering women because the women come in spurts. And then when they're coming, then we try and reach out to them. But there's lots of time in between those moments and that's time for prayer. And so while we're praying, there's also time to kind of witness to these dancers and all these people who are acting kind of crazy out there. But what we did last Saturday was we had our loudspeaker and we were just praising God. And it was really interesting because, you know, it is quite common for people to come to the abortion center and to have a sense of fear because especially when these people, there's many of them and few of you, and you know that what their side has done in the past. So you know that it could come to something that may be dangerous, but there was not an iota of fear that day. It was, there was so much strength and peace and joy and love. And it's weird because it was outside of an abortion center, but that ability to kind of witness to them and to praise God and to let them know that he is the only way and that he is the one that they should all be pursuing. Yeah. I can't let you go without asking you about Thrive. So Hmm. Monique, what, what is Thrive? What does it seek to do? And how are you involved with it? Yeah, so I'm not personally involved with Thrive. I I know the people who are uh, responsible for Thrive, and I do think that Thrive is a good thing. Um, So Thrive is a brick-and-mortar pregnancy resource center that is out of St. Louis. And what they are trying to do is to be the counter brand to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood, when you say those words, everybody knows who they are. Everybody knows that they can go there for supposed women's health care and they can go there for an abortion. That is like, without saying anything, you walk into any high school and you say Planned Parenthood and people know. When you talk about the pregnancy resource centers, The majority of people have no idea what a pregnancy resource center is. When you say the name of a pregnancy resource center, most people don't recognize any of those names. So what Thrive is trying to do is to get itself known and then to be known as the counter brand to Planned Parenthood, a place where you can go to not only receive help in the midst of a pregnancy, but also to be able to receive some medical services, to have the ability to be you know, triaged in a certain way, to be able to be respected. They are putting themselves out there as a group which is very trendy. All of their advertisements, they're trying to use 
more of the lingo of women of this age, even the woman who runs the group, her hair is pink and she, you know, dresses very, very much in alignment with what they would think is cool. So all of their marketing and everything is aimed towards the audience that they are trying to appeal to. And it's smart. Um, Their billboards are not like you can very easily think that they are a pro-abortion group when you just look at their billboards. And that's what they intend to do because they want women who are in a crisis pregnancy to look at the billboard and think that maybe they could get an abortion there and to call them so that they can have conversations with them. The cool thing I think about Thrive is that they are utilizing the um, telemed sort of platform in order to be able to serve women, not only in St. Louis, but all over the United States. And I think that this is a really good thing because I don't believe that the people at the other end, like once they have encountered a woman and they've counseled her instantaneously and they've shown her an ultrasound of a gestational, a baby, of whatever their gestation is, and all of those things. And the next step is to connect her with the crisis pregnancy center or the pregnancy resource center, which is in her area, right? Right. Now, I don't think that in order to do that, that Thrive has to own those businesses. I think there needs to be collaboration in every city with this program so that then Thrive has saved the baby at that instant and they can hand that child over and that hand that mother over to a group that's in the city. And if that's the case, then there's no barrier to anybody benefiting from Thrive Services all over the United States. And right. then they can absolutely become that counterbrand that they're trying to become because everybody just has to know about Thrive. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. I think it's a fantastic idea because oftentimes when people are calling these hotlines, they're on the hotline, they speak to someone on the phone, they don't see anybody. And then it's like, okay, let me see when the next available appointment is. And it's going to be, you know, three days down the road. And I don't know if you'll be able to get an ultrasound then, but, but with this, instantaneously, the woman presses the button, someone pops up on her screen instantaneously. Hey, how are you? What's going on? What's your situation? She can see someone. She feels like she's in a real telemed appointment with them. How far along do you think you are? Here's an ultrasound of a baby of that gestation. This is what your baby looks like. So it doesn't matter that they're not actually ultrasounding her baby, but she would feel like it's her baby. Right. Yeah. So those are all really, I think, super impactful things. Yeah. And I'm hoping that it really takes off. I think it would be great. I'm going to put a uh, a link to Thrive in the show notes here so people can people can check it out Wonderful. if they so choose. What final words, Monique, do you have for our listeners today? I would say everybody should engage in the pro-life movement in whatever capacity you can. Don't be intimidated by 
others' opinions as to what it feels like to pray outside of an abortion center or to minister to these women. Like everybody can do something. And it may be that you are homebound and you can't leave your house. Well, then you can write the cards that we give to the women outside of the abortion center. You can promise to pray a certain number of rosaries for the people who are standing out there trying to minister to these people. But everybody has got to play their part. Everybody's got to sacrifice. Everybody's got to pray. And everybody has got to stand up and be counted. This is a time that is we're in the midst of the greatest war ever. And this is not the time to be silent. This is the time for all of us to be brave, to be courageous, and to really be laser focused on our final goal which should be the goal of every single person of every day. And that's just to get to heaven and to get everybody that we care about to heaven with us and to bring as many souls as possible there with us. That's all that really matters. Very, very well said. Dr. Monique Ruberu, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. Thank you. God bless. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page, and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them. And if you would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.